Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a game day. World Series action gets underway. Arizona Diamondbacks facing the Rangers in Texas tonight. That's a 5.03 p.m. start on Fox. We'll talk a little bit about that here momentarily. But first, let's set the scene for today's program. You know it's Friday. It's Friday, October 27th, and that means it's Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. The $100 gift certificate is up for grabs for you. Uh, That'll take place a little bit later on in the program. And reminder for you, if you are today's winner, make sure you come handy with your weekend play. We'll put $5 on it, and at season's end, money is going to charity. We're sitting at 6-2, and looking to get back in the winner's circle this weekend. Vaughn Hansen's, it's not your normal meat market. Craft beer, wine, spirits, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends. Pay them a visit, 2390 North Alma School in Chandler. And the weekend specials, they have something special here. I guess that's the point of a special, right, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> Certified Angus Beef Choice T-Bone Steak at $16.99 a pound. Then Halloween Brats at $5.99 a pound. Then Sidewinder, a.k.a. Diamondback Brats, which feature habanero salsa, jalapeno, cayenne pepper, hot pepper cheese. Oh. Yeah. Are you ready for that? Six ninety nine yeah, a pound. Handle, my stomach would not be able to handle that. I'm sure it's really <laughs> scrumptious and so forth, but I just, yeah, it would be... That would be difficult for me to consume. (laughs) Fair enough. However, we'll give Give you props. Give me me the steak. I'll take the steak. Okay. Uh, But we will give you props for word of the day with scrumptious. That was a good one. Uh, That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. And the final weekend special here, uh, throwing in a bunch of stuff for you over at Von Hansen's Meats and Spirit, the oven-ready chicken parmesan at $6.99 a pound. I can do that. Me too. We can uh, get into college football and NFL action for the weekend momentarily. Uh, Brian Blewis of Pro Football Network, he'll join us around 1115 for an NFL prop discussion. Let's set the scene, though, with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. You predicted it. Who wins the World Series, Diamondbacks or Rangers? And the Diamondbacks have taken a firm lead, 77% of the vote, Rangers trailing at 23%. Obviously, uh, you know, the Rangers, they've been an underdog. and Both these teams have been underdogs in every series they played so far in the postseason. Uh, now the Rangers are prohibitive favorites, depending on where you do your, uh, you know, your shopping for if you're in the, you know, into betting. Uh, I've seen, I did not do an extensive research thing here because I'm not going to bet on this series, at least the series part. Uh, but uh, I've seen the Rangers as high as 180. And uh, I think I saw as low as like 155. So just shop around and 
you know, if you know, it seems like uh, pretty much either side, whatever you're trying to shop for, you can get a number that is that should benefit you at least as far as getting a quote good number. Uh, the Twitter poll question at KDUS AM 1060, the Arizona Cardinals, they're back home hosting the Ravens. This is flipped from the nine o'clock hour. Who do you have Sunday in Glendale? Cardinals plus nine and a half or Ravens minus nine and a half. The Ravens are now out in front at 53.3% of the vote. Cardinals 46.7% on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. This number has been kind of rising seemingly by half a point a day. So we'll see how this goes. And I know that there are, there's at least one ten in uh, in the state of Nevada. The last I looked, which was a few like a half hour ago or so, uh, but uh, we'll see. But uh, not much of a reason to bet on the Cardinals at this point. Obviously, uh, even against the number with those kind of uh, kind of the, the way that they played lately, and uh, you, know, you know, I don't think Kyler Murray's playing this week. Even though there's, I guess, some speculation after the last two days of practice that maybe he will. But I think that that's a little un, little unlikely. That's just me talking. Uh, but we'll see. And uh, I can't make much of a case for the Cardinals. I guess I'm giving up my answer here now. But uh, they haven't covered, like, what, the last four games, I think it is, um, after they got off to that nice start. They're just kind of running out of players. Um, actually, Howard Balzer of GoPHNX.com had an interesting article up last night trying to help us understand what the injury designations mean in regards to to, to Kyler Murray because he is yeah. coming off of the pup list. So when everyone got real excited about full participant on Wednesday, that didn't necessarily mean it was a full participant in terms of um, – practicing with the ones it may have been a full participant in terms of what he was asked to do that day so that's kind of where things stand there yeah i i've actually it's been a long time since you know went to practices because you know they they used to actually let you depending on who the coach was you mcginnis let you go to practice but you just couldn't really talk about the practice but you know they didn't have quote full participant in practice reports in those days but you know, a guy would like jog around the you know the you know the, the field for like ten minutes, and he was a full participant if if it was the the current day vernacular. So you know, I always kind of chuckle at the you know participation thing that we get on, especially on Wednesdays during the week. That that's just kind of a joke. Uh, Thursday gives you a little bit better idea. The one thing you can pay attention to though. If somebody's not on that report on a Wednesday and he gets added on Thursday or Friday, that's usually not a good thing. And that's actually what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. He wasn't on it on uh, Wednesday and was a limited participant yesterday with a shoulder injury. So we'll monitor that from the Ravens side of things. But with him, who knows what's (laughs) going on, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm guessing this is completely a guess. You know, and there's now several teams. Well, I'm guessing he's been on injury reports more than he has been not on injury reports over the years for whatever reason. We will definitely dive into that. Answer the question in full around 1130. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Before we really deep dive into Friday spread, let's talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's World Series game number one tonight in Texas against the Rangers. 
5.03 p.m. start on Fox. Game one starter, we did a little bit of a deep dive on both of these two starters in yesterday's program with Zach Gallen going for the Diamondbacks and Nathan Ovaldi going for the Rangers. You know, when you talked with Jeff Wilson of Rangers today in the 9 o'clock hour, did he glean anything to you just about how this starting rotation has come together and certainly some changes have been made uh, before the trade deadline, but also factoring in that Max Scherzer is, you know, like what are they going to do with Max Scherzer this series? Well, maybe my bad. We didn't even bring up Max because I wanted I had plenty of things I wanted to get to him, uh, make sure we uh, touched on. And we did talk about uh, Evaldi and Montgomery, however. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Scherzer also, we're not 100% sure what's going on with him because he has the thumb thing. And uh, when he had a side session on Wednesday, the last I saw, uh, that you know, he had a Band-Aid on his thumb when he was doing the side session. So I'm not exactly sure how he fits in right now. I wonder if the Rangers, I think it's safe to say that the Rangers really don't know what they're going to get out of Scherzer, which I said in the last series, but I don't think that's any different in this series. Uh, then when we take a deep dive here in position by position for the Rangers and for uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, we'll start with catcher. Uh, we know how good Gabriel Moreno has been for the Diamondbacks, really elevated that position. He's hitting really well this postseason as well. So is Jonah Heim, though, for the Rangers. They both have 12 hits. Uh each in this postseason. Uh, maybe Moreno has had a few more key hits driving in some runs. Uh, both are really good at throwing runners out. You know, is there a particular edge that you would give to uh, the Diamondbacks or the Rangers from behind the plate? I think it's tough to do these position comparisons, because, especially catchers, because it really depends on, uh, you know, there's so much more going on, you know, how you control a pitching staff and so forth. And that's something that Moreno has certainly got much better at during the season. Remember, early in the season, there were some starting pitchers on this staff, and one guy was not here anymore, Madison Bumgarner, that didn't want to throw to him. Uh, so, you know, Zach Gallen, uh, when you know, when uh, you know, Kelly came back from the injury, uh, Carson Kelly was kind of the, the catcher for Gallen for a while. Uh, so I'm not saying that he demanded that, but it was interesting that that was the case. Uh, they were familiar with each other from their days in St. Louis together, but way back in the day in the minor league system there. Uh, so maybe that uh, I probably think that had more to do with it than anything else. But I think it's really difficult to compare any positions, quite frankly, against each other because they're not facing these guys. They're facing the pitching staff from the other team. And catcher evaluation is so more complicated than just throwing out runners. Uh, over at first base, we're going to see Christian Walker for the Diamondbacks. He obviously won a gold glove last year. He's a finalist once again this year. We know some of the struggles that he's had in the playoffs at the plate, but we also know historically how good of a power hitter he can be. For the Rangers, it's going to be Nathaniel Lowe. Uh, you know, talk about his defense here and maybe the trajectory that he's been on because he's now a gold glove finalist this year, but there were some struggles last year for Lowe. I don't even remember that because I didn't watch. There was no reason for me to watch the Rangers very often last year. Uh, but, yeah, you know, his offense has been way up and down, kind of like their team. You know, they're, they, they have the best offensive stats in baseball for the season. But, you know, for a team that has those kind of numbers, you know, they've had some pockets where their offense has been just kind of silent. 
and he's been a big part of that for sure. As far as Walker, this just is this is just not the postseason. Yeah, you know, he's had some really shaky stretches during uh, really since the All Star break. And uh, you know, I remember you know, when we were still playing regular season games, you know, Steve and Bob on the local broadcast uh, continually talked about how he was getting pounded with hard stuff, especially inside. And that's continued during the playoffs. And here's some breaking news for you. The Rangers have a whole bunch of power pitchers that can, uh, I would assume, try to continue uh, to take advantage of that. And Walker is going to have to make some kind of adjustment. The one thing for Walker, he definitely uh, drew some key walks in that Philadelphia series. And so it's not just all power with him. Uh, he's, he, he, he's had some good at-bats, even though he's not hitting for – you know, the pop that I'm sure that some expect. Over at second base, Cattell Marte, he's been on fire these playoffs. We know he's a switch hitter. His defense has improved. I know you love defense, so Marcus Simeon probably uh, makes you feel good watching him at second base. Well, and he's also been a leadoff hitter for, you know, what is the, quote, best offense in baseball statistically in many cases. Uh, he said, you know, he was did not have a good, you know, series against the Astros. Even though he did get on base there towards the end of that series, I think he's actually the key to this whole series for Texas. He's going to have to be, I think, uh, setting the table offensively. And uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get to shortstop, I assume, next or <laughs> soon here. Uh, he gets on base. Uh, you know, that that's he, him being on base increases the likelihood that some foolish pitcher is going to continue to throw fastballs to Corey Seager. Uh, you're right. Shortstop is next. And we have uh, Geraldo Perdomo. We have discussed a lot about how great he's been doing at the nine spot, uh, getting some really good at bats there. We know he's a good defender, but Corey Seager is Corey Seager, Seager and he certainly has been bringing it these playoffs. Really all season long. Remember, he had been, he had two stints on the injured list during the year, including uh, the second one on a really foolish base running decision by him when he should have never been running to second base, and then they slid head first and injured his shoulder. Uh, but uh, I thought when that happened, I was watching that game live, and I thought, oh, my God, he's out for a really long time. And he wasn't out for as long as anticipated. But I think the case can be made, uh, especially now, uh, that you know he's not going to win the, mo- the American League Most Valuable Player Award because Otani's going to win it because he had the best, quote, numbers. But I think that if you just want to take the words the most valuable, I mean, how valuable was Otani to the Angels except at the box office? You know, they finished like 7,000 games behind the Rangers uh, during the regular season. And Seager has just been unbelievable this season when he's been on the field. And uh, as I mentioned, his numbers aren't quite as good as some other guys because he had two stints on the injured list. And one of them was for like, you know, 20, 21 days at least. So uh, maybe a month, in fact, early in the season. A third base, we have Evan Longoria. We've also seen some Emmanuel Rivera, depending upon uh, who's pitching on the other side of things. Longoria, though, has really struggled at the plate. For the Rangers, it's Josh Jung, uh, a rookie. He has three home runs and 13 hits this October. Yeah, Josh Young's been amazing. I actually knew who he was. I don't watch much college baseball. I have a friend who is really into college baseball and told me about him when he was at Texas Tech a few years ago. Uh, he Unfortunately, uh, Young was injured uh, You know, last year. Actually, he's been injured a couple times. He's even injured some this year, too. 
this is one of the clear things I think it's safe to say uh, because I think it's you know, you know, accurate to point out that the Diamondbacks' third base position has been kind of a, uh, you know, who knows who's playing there sometimes from, you know, week to week, let alone even game to game. Uh, but, you know, as long, as long as Young's been healthy, he's been tremendous. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't follow the rookie of the year stuff too much. I know Corbin Carroll is going to win the national league, but, uh, if young were healthy the entire season, it seemed like a slam dunk that he was going to win the American league rookie of the year, but he's, it was injured for several weeks. Left field, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, he's had some key at-bats this postseason here. But Evan Carter, he's uh, also a rookie, and he's been playing great this postseason for the Rangers. I didn't even know who this – yeah, we talked about him with Jeff in the last hour. I didn't even know who this dude was until, like, literally a month ago. Uh, and now he's, you know, starting left fielder, and he's, you know, Jeff pointed out to me he's actually really a center fielder. He's a really good fielder. And Jeff also pointed out, and I've mentioned this last couple of weeks here, for a guy that's 21 years old, this guy has an unbelievable understanding of the strike zone, a tremendous eye, as uh, we used to say back in our Little League days, I guess. Uh, but uh, it's a, you know, like I said, I had no idea who this dude was. And uh, Jeff pointed out that when he got drafted, he got drafted in the COVID draft, that MLB Network's covering the draft, and they didn't know who he was, and he got drafted during a commercial, and they came back and were just kind of wondering, who is this dude? <laughs> and uh, I first saw him like two, uh, three, four weeks ago, at least when I was watching some Rangers games during the end of the regular season. And I watched a lot of Rangers this year, and I'm, who the hell is this guy? I haven't seen this guy all year, and now he's you know, sometimes batting third in their lineup. Uh, center field, Alec Thomas. The question here is, will be he will he be in the lineup against lefties? And then for the Rangers, you have Tavares. Uh, he's also a good defensive outfielder. He's a tremendous defensive outfielder who's actually hit much better than they I think both these guys, at least since Thomas came back from the minor leagues, I think it's safe to say that both of these guys have hit more than they anticipated. They both hit key home runs in the postseason, too. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. I think that Thomas should be playing every day. I don't care if it's left-handed or right-handed. Uh, you know, the in the ballpark in Texas is, uh, you know, the outfield is big, kind of like here. And they've got some, you know, funky angles and so forth. Not as many as here. But, you know, to me, if Tommy Pham plays in this series, he has to be a DH. And, you know, the, I think the Diamondbacks were fortunate that that game did not come down to his two misplays in right field, game seven, in Philadelphia on uh, Tuesday night uh, because there were two balls hit the right field that should have been caught that weren't. And finally, at right field, we have Corbin Carroll. We know how speedy he is. We also know some of the struggles that he had at the plate and then busted through in Game 7. Uh, then on the flip side of that, for Garcia with the Rangers, I mean, my goodness, seven home runs, and he's just absolutely crushing it at the plate. But it's like kind of feast or famine sometimes for him. That's true. Um, you know, they're both good fielders. You know, you know, Carroll with the glove does not have a strong throwing arm. Garcia is a tremendous outfielder and has an incredible throwing arm. Sometimes he likes to show that throwing arm off a little too often and uh, misses cutoff man and sometimes throws to the wrong base. Carroll missed a cutoff man the other night too, which could have cost him in that Phillies game, uh, but they were able to overcome that. Uh, when he was actually playing right field in that game. 
Uh, just some numbers here. The bullpen, uh, the Diamondbacks bullpen ERA throughout the postseason, 2.94. The Rangers bullpen throughout the playoffs, 3.72 ERA. And obviously the bullpens will be yeah. important for both of these squads. And both these bullpens, I think it's safe to say, were not good for a large majority of the season, especially Texas. And I'm kind of, that's the biggest surprise to me about the Rangers is that uh, they've uh, even Bruce Bochy, who's the master of you know, pitching and bullpens and how to manage and so forth. I'm stunned how this has come together for them in the last three weeks here, roughly, because for the last you know three months before that or longer, it was just a kind of a disarray and a mess. 5.03 p.m., Fox, game number one. It's Friday spread on the other side of the break here in the Extra Point. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Here we go. Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Von Hansen's not your normal meat market. Pay them a visit 2390 North Alma School in Chandler or visit their website at vonhansensmeats.net. It is the extra points on this Friday, October 27th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. Let's dive into the world of college football here, and we'll start with Oklahoma off to Kansas. Oklahoma minus 9.5, Kansas plus 9.5, the over-under sitting at 65.5. Kansas is 5-2 and two despite uh, quarterback Jalen Daniels missing time with back issues. He's also doubtful for tomorrow's contest. Jason Bean stepping in for him. He averages 14.7 yards per completion. You still have a two-headed monster attack on the ground for Kansas with Devin Neal and Daniel Hishaw Jr. averaging 156.6 rushing yards per game. Now the question here is who is this Oklahoma defense? In the first four games of the season, OU's defense allowed uh, 0.7 points per drive. In the last three games, they've allowed 1.9 points per drive. Conversely, the first four games, 5.3% of plays gained 20 plus yards. The last three games, 8% of plays have gained 20 or more yards. This is pretty easy to explain. They played some of the worst offenses literally in college football the first four games of the season. And since then, they played some good offenses. And uh, there's that. I have almost nothing to offer in this game, though. I mean, OU is lucky to beat UCF last week in Norman. And uh, yeah, Daniel's not likely not playing. I don't think he's been officially ruled out, but who is in college football in any game, it seems like. But uh, there is a massive drop-off between him and Bean, he, uh, Bean who is the backup quarterback. Uh, so uh, I think it's unlikely I'll even be watching this game unless I see a score that OU is losing, and I'll try to figure out how. Uh, BYU and Texas. Uh, this is actually moved from this morning. It's now over on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. BYU plus 20 and a half. Texas minus 20 and a half. Over under sitting at 50 and a half. We know for Texas, Quinn Ewers is out. Uh, but we don't know exactly what the quarterback situation will be, but it might not matter here against BYU. BYU, interestingly, they have scored 27 points on Kansas but lost, then 35 points on Cincinnati and won. Then they scored 11 points on TCU and lost, and then 27 points on Texas Tech and won. 
I've not watched one snap of BYU football this season. Um, just, just worked out that way or not worked out that way. We do know who's starting for uh, Texas. They announced the uh, you know, last couple of days here that Malik Murphy will be the starter, which is not surprising to anybody. Uh, in fact, we heard uh, we, we did a Texas preview back in July uh, that you know, Murphy would be the backup to Quinn Ewers. Uh, you know, Arch Manning is not in the plans for this year. Uh, you know, he's taken a few reps this week because he's now the quote backup quarterback. But I don't think it really matters who the quarterback is, quite frankly, because they just give the ball to you know at this point just give it to Jonathan Brooks, who's averaging seven yards per carry, and he's actually been a good receiver. And yeah, his season stats don't look quite as good as some other running backs in the country. Uh, they should actually you should factor this. He wasn't even a starting running back for Texas until the third game of the season. Georgia and Florida. Georgia minus 14 and a half. Florida plus 14 and a half. Over under sitting at 49 and a half. Georgia is coming off a bye week here. So did that give them some time to figure out offensively how to live without Brock Bowers? Georgia has won a shocking 24 games in a row now. And then on the flip side of this here with Florida, do we know enough about this offense? I mean, you do have uh, a two-headed rushing attack with Montreal Johnson and Trey. Trevor Etienne. Yeah, I actually think their offense is not a problem for me because uh, Graham Mertz has been much better. He got out of Wisconsin. Maybe that was the problem. He was a heralded top recruit. Uh, maybe the top quarterback recruit in his entire class. They're close to it, depending on who you paid attention to. I knew who he was when he was in high school, so he was heralded because I don't pay attention to high school recruiting too much. Uh, but he went to uh, Wisconsin, had some good moments, more bad moments than good moments. He's been much better in Florida with Billy Napier. My question about Florida is I'm concerned that they would, they might get demolished at the line of scrimmage in this game because there's been a couple of games, including the Kentucky game, uh, about a month ago where they had no chance to stop the run or run the ball. And that could be a big problem in this game. Georgia's 1-5 against the spread. Now they don't have Bowers, so do what you need to do. Both these teams coming off a bye from last year, last week, excuse me. Oregon and Utah. Oregon minus six and a half. Utah plus six and a half. Over under sitting at 47 and a half. So we now officially know Cam Rising will not participate for Utah this season. We also know that there's other injuries that Utah has sustained to Micah Bernard, Micah Pittman, and Brant. Uh, Kuthi, Utah's defense, they rank fourth in the three and out rate. They rank seventh in the success rate allowed. Oregon's run game, though, my question is here, will they be able to wear down Utah's defense with Bucky Irving and Jordan James averaging 158.9 yards per game? Flip this to the defensive side of things for Oregon. Oregon has 25 sacks. They've allowed 18 passes, just 18 passes of 20 or more yards. And uh, the, the Utah offense without Cam Rising has been inconsistent at best. That's true. Even though, you know, you know, you know last week, you know, Bryson Barnes definitely made some plays when they won that game at USC. Yeah, I think it's almost, almost, the key word here, almost as big a deal that Brent Keithy is out for the rest of the season than it is Cam Rising. That guy, uh, Keithy, uh, you know, second best D, uh, tight end in college football it, when he was healthy. If you, we, I think before the season started, I know that some people thought he was the second best behind only Bowers. 
Also, they've lost you know, you know Land, Lander Barton was injured last Saturday against USC, and he was injured so badly that not even you know, Kyle Whittingham could lie about that injury. They, he actually in the postgame said he was out for the season. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. You mentioned the run game. Oregon leads the Pac-12 in rushing offense. Uh, of course, we, I've already heard this week, of course, it's a road game, so Bo Nick sucks. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. Uh, he did suck when he was a road quarterback at Auburn, but not so much sucking when he's been at Oregon. In fact, he's uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate now. Big coaching mismatch here. I think it's safe to say that Dan Lanning is the worst big game coach, uh, game day coach of any top ten. Well, is Penn State still ranked in the top ten? I don't know if they, they are were not. They were 10th. Anyway, they're still ranked? Okay. I think they were 10th, well, they yeah. Should, they shouldn't be. Okay, so he's you know, the, the worst of the top nine teams. Uh, or Dan Lanning is the worst uh, coach of the top nine. Uh, game day, I wouldn't know part of this guy, and this is a coaching mismatch. I just don't know if Oregon's – excuse me, Utah's enough players, good players that are still healthy that can win this game. The secret attack of Sion Vaki moving to offense. That's true. Where is he playing this week? No I mean, idea. it's amazing. Yeah, he even kick, returns kicks sometimes. Duke and Louisville. This line has moved over two points from this morning. Duke now sitting at plus 6.5, Louisville minus 6.5, over under 46.5. Uh it must be there must be some speculation that Riley Leonard would not be playing if this line moved like it did uh, from this morning here. But there is a massive drop off for Duke at quarterback if Riley Leonard's not playing and it's Henry uh, Boleyn the fourth. He was just one of six Ugh, for seven. That guy's terrible. <laughs> I mean, he might, maybe he's a good kid, but I mean, he shouldn't be a college quarterback. Yeah, uh, the numbers when he had to come in last week against FSU, he was just one of six for seven yards. Duke ranks 30. It was almost almost that bad two weeks ago when he played, too, against a far lesser opponent. I mean, he just, unfortunately, that kid is not a good quarterback. Duke ranks 33rd in rushing success rate, but when I look at this, I wonder how much of that actually has to do with Riley Leonard because he's pretty good as a dual threat type quarterback. So uh, becoming more one-dimensional, uh, I wonder if the offense can move here for Duke. Louisville ranks 24th in rushing success rate allowed, so they're pretty good at stopping the run. Louisville, uh, though, might be without their running back, Jahar Jordan. Correct. And he was the key to their win against Notre Dame. I want no part of this game uh, because of Jordan's inability. Uh, we're not sure whether he's going to play, whether he's uh, available or not. Uh, and then the Ryan Leonard, actually, I thought I heard last night that he was expected to play in this game or was going to try. And he tried last week against Florida State. He should have never been on the field. He got re-injured. And then they, you know, at least they didn't put him back in the game at that point. Uh, but he should have never been out there to begin with last week. Then I don't understand the line movement then, that's for certain. Um, USC and Cal. USC minus 10.5, Cal plus 10.5, over-under sitting at 66.5. Does USC get back on track in this particular game? Cal defense has given up a ton of yards per game, so you would think if the USC offense is ready to get back on track, this could be a game to do it. Uh, and the question, though, for Cal, can they run the ball against USC's defense? I I would hope so. I mean, I'm thinking that you know you and I and you know, nine folks that we could drum up from wherever could run the ball against the USC defense. I'm done with Justin Wilcox. Uh, he's this offense defensive guru guy, and his defense has sucked for 
pretty much all this season and part of last year. Uh, I would think that uh, we're entering his final games uh, as the Cal head coach. However, there are a few uh, you know, Power 5 programs that have more financial issues in their school. The school has more financial issues than Cal. So I don't know if they can actually afford to fire him and pay him off even if they want to fire him. Tennessee and Kentucky, Tennessee minus three and a half, Kentucky plus three and a half, over under sitting at 51 and a half. What do we make of Joe Milton at quarterback? He obviously is great uh, with the ball in his hands when he's using his legs, but I think there's questions as a passer at times. Kentucky football has lost two straight. They are coming off of a bye, though. Yeah, I don't like either team. I wish they were playing other teams, and maybe I'd go against both of them. Uh, Joe Milton, I've never been, I've never been in on Joe Milton when he was at Michigan and when he was at Tennessee and how he was ever the starter last year, uh, to begin the season is a mystery to me. Uh, he had a good first half last week, except when they got in the red zone and then he sucked there and he was absolutely awful in the second half, as was their team awful in the second half when they got outscored, I believe it was 27, nothing in the second half at Alabama and lost that game. I'm done with Kentucky uh, off the bye week. I could care less if he had a bye week or not. But, you know, I had them against Missouri a couple of weeks ago when they led 14-0 in the first half. There was a trick play, a, you know, a fake punt for Missouri that resulted in a touchdown eventually. And I'm completely – that was maybe the dumbest decision, the worst betting decision I've made this year, betting in Kentucky in that game. Also, I don't think there's any question that Devin Leary – who was injured early in the season, I think it's uh, safe to ask at least whether he has ever been healthy this season. Ohio State and Wisconsin. Ohio State minus 14.5, Wisconsin plus 14.5, over-under sitting at 45.5 numbers from FanDuel. Uh, how is the health of everyone for Ohio State? Also, will there be any letdown after the big Penn State victory last week? For Wisconsin football, I mean, they scored just six points against Iowa, 25 points last weekend against Illinois. Well, I think that's a pretty easy explanation why they scored six because, you know, Tanner Mordecai, their you know, heralded transfer quarterback from SMU, who's had some good moments this year, he got hurt in that game. They brought in Brandon Lock, Braden Locke, who really was kind of overmatched at that point. But Locke last week on the road, especially during the final drive of the game, made a couple of amazing throws that you just don't see a lot of quarterbacks, college or pro physically make i mean it was amazing uh in that win at uh, that comeback win against illinois last week as far as ohio state goes full go this is from ryan day full go uh for henderson who has not played since the notre dame game which was in september so it's been a while uh he didn't say full go or anything about you know ibuki or whether you know, you know burke would play and those are those three guys are three of their six best players, and I'm, maybe even you can reduce it from six. Uh, and those guys, none of them played in the game against Penn State last week. So a clear letdown spot. Wild night. It's a night game in Wisconsin, and I know that they're doing some kind of Halloween thing for the fans or you know the, the students and all that. That's a crazy place to play. I've been there for games many years ago. Unfortunately, I never went to a night game there. It's crazy during the day. I'm guessing Halloween weekend there might be some alcohol consumed at some point before the game by some of the fans. 
Uh, then you have Colorado UCLA, Colorado plus 15 and a half, UCLA minus 15 and a half, over under sitting at 60 and a half. Colorado's coming off of a bye here. UCLA's defense, though, has been pretty darn good this season. Questions for UCLA. Who's going to start at quarterback? You had Dante Moore get the start this season. He was benched last week. Ethan Garbers came in very efficient against Stanford. Yeah, they finally did the right thing and sat Moore down. I mean, I know he's a heralded recruit. They took him and stole him away from Michigan. Then he was going to go to Oregon. He didn't go there either. Now there's actually talk that he might be transferring back to Michigan at the end of the year because they're going to need a quarterback, la-di-da. But Moore has sucked this season. I mean, there's some highlight rules and stuff that people just watch those, I guess, and think, whoa, this guy's great. He's thrown a pick six in every Pac-12 game he's played. They finally benched him last week, and Garbers was the main quarterback. They actually used two other guys, uh, but Garbers was the main guy, and they were up 21-0 in almost like two seconds. In fact, they were up 21-0 at Stanford before I could even tune in to watch the game. I was watching uh, the other games in that 4-30 window, looked over, and I flipped it over, and you know, they're up 21-0 already. Uh, so we'll see what's going on there. Supposedly, I guess this is the Dion factor. They're going to have a big crowd at the Rose Bowl, which is a kind of a unusual thing for UCLA football. Uh, and if you're familiar with the, if you're not familiar with the geography of Southern California, it's a pain in the ass if you're a UCLA student to get to the Rose Bowl. It's not even close to the same, you know, same part of the city or the you know, the county for that matter. In fact, they might even be in two different counties for all I know. Uh, but uh, supposedly there's going to be people there. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for UCLA because they're they're used to playing in front of fan, very few fans. Locally, WSU is coming to town, minus 5.5, ASU plus 5.5, over-under sitting at 49.5. It's a 5 p.m. start on the Pac-12 networks. ASU held down that high-octane UW offense last week. Can they do the same this week against Cam Ward? Then flip this to the ASU offensive side of the ball. Can they take advantage of WSU's run defense by finding a run game of their own? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, hopefully Kenny Dillingham will not have to make a game deciding decision because that's happened a couple of times and those things haven't gone well, including the foolish go for it on fourth down, which turned out to be a pick six. And the only touchdown that Washington scored in that game was that pick six, uh, Washington State's lost three straight. Uh, they've had three straight really bad performances, UCLA, U of A, and they lost by a hundred at home against the U of A. And then last week, the game against Oregon was a little closer than the score indicated because they got a backdoor cover in that game. Uh, yeah, they got dominated in the second half, especially in that game. This is ASU's best chance for the second win this season uh, for the rest of the year, in my opinion. And uh, they haven't beaten an FBS team yet, not one. Uh, their last four games after this week are at Utah. Uh, home against UCLA and Oregon, uh, actually at Utah, and again, the last four games, Utah, UCLA, Oregon, and UVA, and I don't think they're going to win any of those games, so this would seem to be their best chance. I know there's some people, uh, I know at least one guy who's a uh, you know, sharp handicapper that is on ASU in this game. I don't blame him. I was actually surprised that the line was this high. There was a little ASU action yesterday, and came. I saw some fives yesterday after it was six for most of the week. Uh, so somebody thinks that ASU's got a chance, and uh, 
We'll see what happens. But as I mentioned, this is our best chance for a victory, in my opinion, the rest of the season. The other local contest, Oregon State, minus 3.5, U of A, plus 3.5, over-under sitting at 56.5. It's a 7.30 p.m. kick on ESPN. Oregon State's run game, very elite, but U of A's run defense has been quite solid here. Uh, question marks, Noah Fatita, he's been fantastic uh, since he's come in to be the starter here. So can he put pressure on the Beaver secondary? And then if the game is put into DJU's hands for Oregon State, do you trust it? Oh, I think he's really good. I mean, I actually thought he was at Clemson when he was, I thought he was good there. And I think he was just destroyed by their coaching staff. And I'm not surprised at all that DJU has been much better since he's left Clemson. Um, and also, uh, U of A's front seven is really good and very good, it appears. I don't think their secondary is as good. And, uh, yeah, if they have to throw, I think that that would be to Oregon, Oregon State's benefit, but they clearly prefer to run the ball for sure. And we'll see if Fafita is, is he officially going to start this game? Because, you know, two weeks ago, uh, Jed Fish said that, you know, when Delora is healthy, he's their quarterback. So I assume he's healthy now. So is he their quarterback? That's a great question. Uh, Oregon State, though, they still have a chance, but they have to win this game in order to keep all of their, uh, you know, Pac-12 championship hopes alive. Yeah. Well, I got my 10-to-1 ticket still somewhere. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, to win the Pac-12. So I'm not giving up hope yet. Just get in the championship game and I can hedge. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Pay them a visit. 2390 North Alma School Road in Chandler. We'll take a really fast break and we'll come back with some NFL games to get into right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. HD Radio is here for KDOS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Welcome back to Friday, October 27th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll get into two NFL games here now before we take a final break to wrap up our number one. Uh, plenty of conversation left to get into here for the weekend slate of action. Eagles minus six and a half, Commanders plus six and a half. Uh, that was early this week. It has now moved to seven over on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, over under sitting at 43 and a half. Uh, the Eagles, they probably want to make up for that overtime game against the Commanders a few weeks ago. They also made a big time move trading for Kevin Byer to help with the injured secondary. Sam Howell, he has 40 sacks so far this season. He's holding on to the ball 2.78 seconds. Uh, you know, will there be another spirited effort, though, from the commander's defense? Um, they're going to have to have that. You know, I think the line moved uh, just – I don't even think it was uh, you know, generated by action. I think it was just the fact that Jalen Hurts, who, of course, had the knee brace on for the second half of the Miami game, and you know, I think that uh, Melissa Stark certainly uh, – you know, pointed that out in the post game and specifically asked him about that. And he said, I'm okay or something like that. Uh, but apparently he was okay because he wasn't even listed on the injury report uh, for this week. Uh, so we'll see what's up with that. 
You mentioned uh, the uh, the obviously the the offensive line issues, or I mentioned it, or you mentioned Howell's you know, sack thing. A lot of that is him. You know, he holds the ball a long time, as you pointed out. The other part is that he's also running for his life a lot of the time. And this would seem to be a massive issue with their offensive line against the defensive front from Philadelphia. They were missing the Eagles, a few of those guys, when they played the first time. It seems like that they're relatively healthy now. The Jaguars and the Steelers. Jaguars minus two and a half. Steelers plus two and a half. Over under sitting at 40 and a half. This is a teaser leg for me this week. Hopefully the Steelers don't let me down as they did when I opened up week one thinking that they would keep it close against the 49ers. Uh, it is two good defenses, at least statistically. The Jaguars good against the run. The Steelers unable to decide between Harris and Warren. Kenny Pickett has thrown 36.1% of his passes off target on 10 plus yards downfield when he is not pressured the Jaguars though conversely have some red zone issues uh the Steelers always find a way to play tough games though yeah for the most part uh, their pass defense is not good so if Jacksonville can't figure out the passing game if Ridley's not involved in this game will he ever be involved also uh, we're going to talk about this later in the uh, next hour at least I'm going to ask about it uh, Christian Kirk against the Pittsburgh secondary. Kirk's great after the catch, and the Steelers are terrible in the secondary tackling after the catch. So we'll see what happens there. One other quick thing about Pittsburgh. Came Hayward not activated this week as some had anticipated would happen. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That obviously had opened up some holes uh, on the run game oh. that teams were able to take advantage of that. It's like a one and a half yard run per carry difference when he's out there as opposed to when he's not. And that's a massive amount. That's a massive number. We'll continue with some more NFL games. We have a lot of NFL games because no teams are on by this week. You had six teams on by last week. Everyone's playing here in week eight. So we'll wrap up our number one with Friday spread NFL conversation. We'll get into it to start our two. And then, of course, in our two, our segment with Brian Blewis around 1115 or so to get into the NFL props. Plenty here happening in the extra point, plus the $100 gift certificate available for you, courtesy of Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Wrapping up our number one next. Need social information about KDUS AM 1060? Try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. the extra point on this Friday, October 27th, right here on KDOS AM 1060, continuing the Friday spread brought to you by Vaughn Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Let's dive into it. The Saints and the Colts. Saints, well, this is actually flipped from earlier in the week. Earlier in the week, you had Saints plus one and a half, Colts minus one and a half, over under sitting at 42 and a half. Now, currently today, Saints minus one, Colts plus one, over under sitting at 43 and a half. The Colts have eight turnovers in the last two weeks, which have led to the opposing team scoring 34 points. So can Minshew protect the football here? The Saints are the much better defense in this contest, but can the offense finally get on the same page? 
Okay, I'll try to make this really quick. Uh, the Minshew thing is the reason why I just am leery to bet this total under. You know, other than that, I would be really you know, enthusiastically betting this game under. Uh, I'm going to probably still bet it under, but for less than I normally would. Uh, as far as uh, you know, the, the, the line shift, I think a lot of the injuries things that have occurred this week, it seems as if the Saints are getting people back and the Colts have lost some people in the last you know, you know, couple of weeks, really. But even a couple of more guys this week showed up in the injury report that I didn't know about. Third down in red zone offense uh, for the Saints has been pretty crummy every week, uh, maybe if not every game. So that's uh, the, the, the case for the under on the uh, as far as the offense goes. If you want to bet the under, you know, I can't imagine the Saints are going to do a ton just based on what we've seen before. So, yeah, actually, it's a the, game to me. Yeah, the uh, the Saints in the red zone issues are actually going to be something I'm going to ask Brian Blewis when we speak with him. Uh, you know, will they maybe deploy Taysom Hill? You got to try something, right? They actually threw him the ball a lot last week, which is even more confusing. <laughs> we'll get into hour number two of the extra point on the other side of the break. It is Friday. It is October 27th right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports. 